Thank you, James. Indeed, God is worthy of it all. So, uh, it's good to see everybody. Those of you who are our guests, really glad uh, that you're with us. Let me just uh, say to you that if this is your first time or, or however many times you've been here, uh, we'd love to, to know how we can tell you more about the ministries of the church. There's a contact card uh, that you can find uh, in your bulletin. You can place that in one of the black boxes uh, on your way out. Well, you probably know fathers are uh, known for jokes that the rest of the world sometimes just doesn't get. Or, or maybe the rest of the world doesn't think is funny. So I've got a few for you, just a few, I promise, not many. But so, for example, why in a country with free speech do we have cell phone bills? Okay? Uh, yeah. Or I had a dream about a, a muffler last night. I woke up exhausted. Last one, I promise. I didn't like my beard at first, then it grew on me. <laughs> Is that enough? Yeah, okay, all right. We'll be here all night, folks. Please tip the waiters on your way out. So, so seriously, we have a, a real treat for you uh, this morning. We're going to hear from some dads here at OTCC in sort of a panel interview format. Uh, but first, I, I want to share a few thoughts about a father's faith from an episode in the life of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn or launch it to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 24, and then uh, 35 through 43. And uh, after, at the end of our um, uh, teaching time this morning, which is a little bit shorter than normal, then we'll hear from our dads in an interview format. So uh, before I read the passage, let me share uh, just a little bit of context. This section of Mark has Jesus teaching and healing people with large crowds by the Sea of Galilee, which Mark refers to as the lake. What we see is Jesus just going from one side to another, and absolutely amazing things happen when Jesus goes boating. So, for example, this is uh, the time and the episode in Jesus' life when we see that he calm the storm, and in so doing, he, he calmed the fears and, and the hearts of his disciples. He healed a man who was demon-possessed. This man was in such agony that no one could touch him, and he would have fits of rage, and he would even tear the chains off of him. And then Jesus healed him, and he became peaceful, and he became calm. And all of a sudden, the text says that he was in his right mind, and then he begged to be able to go with Jesus. And then Jesus got into the boat and went on the other side of the lake again. So we see this sort of back and forth from one side to another, and we come to this story. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, reads like this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now let me just pause just for a minute. What follows next in the, in the text, right after the text where I stopped, is another story of healing. We actually have two stories of healing sort of interposed with one another. 
It is a story that often, when this passage is preached, gets most of the attention. It's the story of, uh, as Jesus was heading to, to Jairus' house, it's the story of the woman who was pressing toward Jesus. This woman uh, had a, a blood disorder, and she was just thinking, if I could just touch his garment, then I would be healed. And indeed, she was able to get to Jesus. She touched his garment. Jesus felt the power leave him, and then she was healed. It was just amazing. As he was on the way to Jairus' house, this other healing happened. We've explored this story before. We'll explore it again in the future. But back to Jairus. Remember, he is with Jesus. Now looks what ha- look what happens. Uh, chapter 5, verses 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means in Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now I know that you want to hear from our esteemed panel. But before they come up, what I want to do is I want to celebrate just a few aspects of Jairus's faith here. We don't know how big his faith was. Remember, Jesus says, if you have faith as big as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. But one of the things I'm taken by with Jairus here is he had the faith, just enough faith to be vulnerable before Jesus. Men are not good at being vulnerable. Before GPS came along, it would not be unusual for a man to get lost, and I mean good and lost, and but refuse to ask for directions. GPS in cars has probably saved a lot of marriages, and it's probably saved a lot of family trips. Some men hate to read instruction manuals. They don't want to admit that they just don't know how to put this complicated thing together and that someone smarter than them wrote instructions. Then others of us, the three best words in the English language are simply, no assembly required. Men do not readily admit that when they are afraid. Men hate to admit they're afraid. I've shared with some of you in the last week, for some reason, as I've gotten older, I have become a little bit more afraid of heights than normal. And I've developed a slight fear of heights. Now, not flying in an airplane where I'm sitting down, but but standing in places where it just looks like I could fall over. When Pastor Brian told me our seats at the Nats game, when he told me our seats were on the last rung to the stairway to heaven, (laughs) I whined a bit. I let him know in my usual subtle ways, that they may not be good seats, but I never mentioned once that I'd probably have a panic attack when I get to the top of that place. I made it. 
I made it. I made it through most of the game. Well, some of the game. And, um, and I didn't fall over, but I held on to every rail and every seat I could find. And by the way, the Nationals have not won a game since we bought seats that high. They have not. So no more. <laughs> Next year, we'll be in really good seats. Men hate to admit it, that they're vulnerable. Jairus was a synagogue ruler. It was not the most powerful position in the world, but he was a leader in his community. And he he clearly knew Jesus was a person of extraordinary powers as he heard about the teachings and the miracles. And he also no doubt heard about the opposition to Jesus. So maybe in his role as a synagogue leader, he just didn't necessarily want to take sides until his little girl became deathly ill. And he was desperate to get her help. He had the smallest of faith to believe that Jesus could help her. He went to him and he didn't care what anybody thought. He fell at his feet and begged for help. How many of you have ever been in public and you've fallen at somebody's feet and you've begged for help? That's vulnerability. And it takes a level of trust and a level of faith to realize that you have a need that you cannot meet. And that is the very essence of faith. Is we all have a need for salvation grace that we cannot meet. We cannot earn it. We cannot buy it. We cannot fake it. To experience a relationship with God, you need to first recognize your vulnerability and recognize your need. And get this, your kids need salvation, and they need a model of a relationship with Christ. And you can teach them, one of the first things you can teach them about Jesus, right? You can teach them about Jesus, and you can pray for them. And one of the best things you can do as you model salvation faith is let them know that they have a need that they cannot meet. And they need to humbly and vulnerably and trust Jesus and ask for salvation. Faith to be vulnerable. And then we see Jairus having at least, and and I'm going to interpose the words here, faith and trust for a minute, okay? But the trust to be patient. Jairus is taking Jesus to his house when the woman with the blood disorder comes to Jesus for healing. And as you heard in the text, Jesus is delayed. Now, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Would you blame him? Would you blame Jairus if he got a little impatient with Jesus? Would you blame him if he went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you can come back here, but we were heading to my house first. Or for like at the deli counter, hey, to the woman, hey, I was number seven, you're number eight. Right? Would you blame him? But the text has him silent. He's silent in this situation. The text has him biding his time. He's waiting. With his daughter on her deathbed, the time it took to heal that woman must have seemed like an eternity. One minute he's falling at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come to his house. The next moment, he's silently waiting for Jesus and following the timing of Jesus. 
faith to wait on Jesus. I wonder if I would have had that kind of faith in that kind of moment. I hope so. Dads like to set the pace. Dads like to set the agenda. How many dads in here have typed out an agenda for their families before they go on vacation? Okay, maybe it's only me. I didn't see anybody else shaking their head. I've got one in the drop box right now. Tried to give it to my son. He wouldn't have it. It takes faith to follow Jesus and not rush him. It takes faith to follow Jesus and not try to run ahead. I believe it was John Ortberg that once said, you know, you can't follow Jesus at a sprint. You can't. You can't go faster than Jesus wants to go if you're going to be in that place of following. It takes patience to pray for your kids when you're not sure if they're even remotely interested in Jesus. It takes patience in prayer to wait for a prodigal to return home. It takes patience for God to work out His plans and purposes when the journey seems like one step forward, two steps back. It takes patience, sacred patience, to allow your child to unfold, to be the person that God wants them to be and not push your timing on their career or their relationships or even their faith journey. It takes faithful patience to trust the promise that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's a promise for you. It's a promise for your children. Jesus, Jairus, waited for Jesus and his timing. I don't know about you. Patience takes faith. It takes trusting faith. The last part is faith that clings to hope. You heard how the story ends. Jesus goes to the house. He wades through those who are already gathered to mourn, and he takes Peter, James, and John and the girl's parents in. He raises her from the dead. And you'll notice that Jesus said to his cynics, she is only asleep. Now, two things about that. Sleep was often used in Jewish life to describe, to, uh, describe death, or when speaking of death. Second, death is only sleep to Jesus, right? He knows there's life after death. He knows there's a great awakening after death. I also find it interesting that those who came to Jairus when Jesus was with the woman, notice a real subtle shift. They said to him, don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus knew he was more than a teacher. Jairus had the faith to believe that he was more than a rabbi, right? that he was also a healer. Faith-filled fathers will cling to this kind of hope. They will teach and model for their children that failure is not final, disappointment is not final, suffering is not final, and they will teach their children, yes, that even death is not final. The little girl, while raised in this story, one day died. The woman that Jesus healed in route while healed that day, one day died. One day, unless the Lord returns before, we will all face that time when we're called home to be with the Lord. Faith-filled fathers proclaim that there is even hope 
Yes, there is hope even then. Jesus gives us a new life and a new hope. I, you know, I've never actually really considered the faith of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, until this year, this Father's Day. But we see in him a faith to be vulnerable, a faith to be patient, and a faith that clings to hope. What a legacy for this guy. Only time he's mentioned in Scripture. Amen.